that the, the Passover and how the Lord's Supper is, is the new covenant replacing the old covenant of the Passover and the Exodus, uh, we see it clearly in that example in Exodus. Uh, Moses tells the people, I believe this is in Exodus chapter 12, uh, he says, fear not and stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. And, and Paul, as he expounds upon this in Romans 9, we've looked at some in Romans 7 and 8. In Romans 9, he, he says that God did this for the Israelites and he consequently brought Pharaoh to an end. He did all these things. Why? Why did he do this? So that his mercy and his power and his purpose might be on display. That's, that's what we're shown. God did these things that, so that he might display who he is. So that he might be proclaimed in all the earth. It's amazing. This is probably as good a time as any for us to ask ourselves a few questions as we consider God's mercy, God acting for God's own sake. Uh, Did Moses and the Israelites deserve to be saved? Did, (laughs) some of you nod yes in humor, Uh, did David deserve for God to spare his life? Church Christians, do we deserve salvation do we deserve to be saved any of us even one of us do any of us deserve this the obvious answer all through scripture is no and in fact we deserve quite the opposite we deserve God's wrath why because we're not righteous none of us is righteous no not one so then why does God love us why does God show us mercy Why does God call us his own? Why does God call us his children? We're asking a lot of questions here, right? So let's ask one more. Parents, why do you love your children? If you're not a parent, consider, why did your parents love you? Really, deep down, why did they love you? Why do we love our children? Why why do we love them when they sin against us, when they break our stuff? And they do exactly the opposite of of what we tell them to do. Why do we love them? I think if we sit and think about this, we think about our children, why do I love my children? Uh, I think at the core, I I love them because they're mine. I love my kids because they're mine. When those of us who are parents held, held each of our children as newborn infants in our arms and we looked upon them and we saw their beautiful faces. Uh, we looked upon something that could offer us nothing, right? We, we looked upon something that there's really no logical reason for us to love this thing except that it's ours, that it belongs to us, that we made it, and it's ours. So church, why does, why does God love his children? Why does God love us? Why does he love you? He loves you because he made you and you are his that's why God loves you. He, didn't, he doesn't love you because of something you've done. He loves you because you belong to him, because you're his. We read from Psalm 100 this morning. Uh, he, exactly those words. He loves us because he made us. He made us and we are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And what is the response that comes out of our hearts as we consider that God loves us, not for anything that we could have done, but because he chose us to call his children 
well, we continue the psalm. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We go into his courts with praise. We give thanks to him and we praise his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness endures to all generations. We're his children for no other reason than because he chose us to be his children. <laughs> he showed us mercy because he chose to show us mercy. Now, what else is there? Our only reasonable response to this as we think about God's mercy is to praise him, to praise him. And that takes us right into point three. And it's exactly where David goes. He knows that God desires to be praised by his people. Verse five reads, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? And I say it somewhat monotonously, I recognize that, but David is crying out. God, if I'm dead, how can I praise you? In death there is no remembrance of you. He, he continues to beg for mercy and he's appealing to God's desire to be praised. He says, if I'm dead, who's going to praise you? Who's going to do it if, if not me? Now, on its face, this is sort of a ridiculous statement, right? Hear me out. In, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus says that if he were to quiet his disciples, that even the stones would cry out, right? If he were to quiet the people, the very rocks would cry out and praise his name. So what, is, what, what does this mean? That means that God can choose any means that he sees fit to bring praise to his name. Any means that he sees fit. But what has he done? He, is, he has chosen his creation that bears his image. Us, people. He's chosen people as the primary means by which praise is brought to his name. And David here is saying, I can praise you better than anybody can praise you. I can do it better than anyone. I can do it with the best of them. He says, uh, please don't ruin me because nobody can praise you like I do. If I'm dead, who's going to praise you? And if anybody does, who's going to praise you the way that I do? Who's going to praise you with as much excitement and vigor as I praise you? Church, God created us for his glory. He created us for his glory. If you're familiar with something called the Westminster Catechism, I believe a, like a longer and a shorter, right? So the Westminster Shorter Catechism is just a series of questions with answers, with scripture citations, and it helps us as we read through it to just to better understand the nature of God, the nature of man, why God does the things that he does and, and why we act the way that we act and what is all this coming to. The very first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, some of you probably know, it's what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? And the answer, as I'm sure some of you also know, is it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We see this all throughout scripture from beginning to end. We, we, we see it in the garden. God created Adam and Eve to, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever and they screwed that up. And what do we see at the end? Friends, one, one day, those of us who believe in Jesus, we're going to enjoy him forever. In Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, we, we see at the end, in, in Revelation 22, John writes, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever 
and ever. God has created all things with this chief end that his people will live with him and and praise his name and enjoy him and be with him forever and ever and ever and ever with no end. So as as you've noticed, there's a point and an application and a point and an application, right? The, The question we ask here is, do we praise God the way that David praised God? Do we consider that our praise to God is something that he desires, something that he wants? Do we, do we praise God even a, a, a micro fraction of the way that we will inevitably praise God eternally in heaven forever and ever? When, when we sing together on Sunday mornings, do we sing from our hearts? Do we, do we seek to give praise to his name or do we just simply pass the time just from one song to one scripture reading to song to the next? Do we praise God from our hearts the way that God has designed us to praise him? David's appeal to God's desire for David's praise, it only works. It's only valid because he knows that he is God's child. He knows that he belongs to God. And he has this assurance that he belongs to God because he knows that God doesn't change, right? I, I could go, I'm sure, on a whole uh, right turn here talking about perseverance, right, and how God saves us and we're saved. He saves us and we're his. He, he, he takes us from death to life and we belong to him. I'm, I'm hoping and confident that you already believe this, <laughs> We're going to move into point four. Uh, David has this assurance that God has saved him and that God will preserve him. And because of this, he also has confidence that God hears his prayers. And that's point four. David knows that God answers the prayers of his people. Now I know this is point four or five, right? It might seem like a foregone conclusion as David is crying out to God. It might seem foregone already uh, that that God is hearing David's prayers, but let's look at the structure of the psalm. This is where David is effectively starting to land the plane, right? Verses eight and nine. Uh, David says, uh, actually, let, let's look at the end of verse seven. David, he begins a transition here. He, he, he cries out to God, right? Verses one through five, and then six and seven, he's just moaning, crying out for himself. And the end of verse seven, he transitions. He says that his eye grows weak because of all my foes. My eye grows weak because of all my foes. So it isn't just as if there is just David and, and God here, right? There is David and God, and then there is, there is something else happening out here. David says, Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. So we see the audience kind of shifting here, right? Crying out to God, telling his enemies, Get away from me. Uh, but it doesn't change the focus of David's understanding of God's character, if you will. David is talking to his enemies, but he's still appealing to God's character. He says uh, to his enemies with certainty that God has heard his cries. He says, apart from me, God has heard me. He has heard my prayer. Uh, Not only has God heard my prayer, but he's going to act on my behalf. He's going to act according to my request. 
Can you imagine the scenario? Just imagine, imagine the situation. David, let's just, let's just put him in a cave, all right? In a cave, surrounded by his enemies, all right? And he believes that, that God has sent these enemies to punish him for his sin against God. And that's the situation that David finds himself in. And now David just says, okay, apart from me, you guys can go now, everything's cool. David has heard my prayer, he's accepted my prayer. In fact, you better go because David has heard me. Just imagine the confidence that David feels crying out to God. And it might, it might seem a little bit blasphemous to kind of think about things in those terms, just get away from the enemies, but I don't think that that's an inaccurate portrayal of what's happening. David has so much confidence in the unchanging character of God, the unchanging nature of God. He has so much confidence in God's mercy. He has so much confidence in God's desire to be praised by him in the fact that he was called by God and the fact that he belongs to God and will belong to him forever. He has so much confidence building on all these things that he knows that his prayer has been heard. He knows that his prayer is acceptable. Christian, I I would ask you this morning, I would want to ask you, if you have that sort of confidence when you cry out to God, if you have that sort of confidence when you when you ask God for help, when you cry out to God for mercy. But instead, I'd rather just proclaim it to you. Have this confidence. Have this confidence that when you pray, God hears you. Listen, when you pray, God hears you. If you belong to Christ, God hears your prayers. I think this is a great place to to point out that this psalm wasn't just written by David thousands of years ago to be locked away and isolated and, and whatever. Do you see the, the heading on this psalm? Oh Lord, deliver my life to the choir master, to be sung with instruments, to be sung by all the people of Israel. David isn't just proclaiming something that happened to him one point in time where God spared him. David is saying that this is who God is. This is a God who who shows mercy to his people, who wants to be praised by his people, and who answers the prayers of his people. These, these promises, Christian, these promises are available to us. These promises are yours. If you believe in Jesus, then God hears your prayers. We have this assurance in the same way that David had this assurance that God doesn't change. We have the same assurance that God has not changed, that he loves us, he cares about us, and he wants to act on our behalf. He wants to show off who he is. And oftentimes he does that by being merciful toward us. Now, having said that, we have this assurance that God hears our prayers, that God answers, that he responds. It doesn't mean that God is always ever going to give you everything that you think you need. I want to make sure that that's like totally perfectly clear. <laughs> what it does mean if you are found in Christ, if you are his, what it does mean is that God will give you everything that he knows you need. And as you are further sanctified in Jesus Christ, as you're further made more like Christ, as your desires align more with the desires of God, the more the things that you cry out to God for will align with the things that God knows that you need. We often think that we need one thing, but God knows In his absolute, infinite wisdom, God knows that we need something else. Jesus 
had great hesitation in going to the cross, right? In the garden, he cried out, God, if there's any other way, please find some other way. But Jesus knew that it was the will of the Father to crush him, as it says in Isaiah 53. It was the will of God to crush him for the iniquities of those he would save. David didn't have perfect assurance that God would do every little jot and tittle of of everything that David was asking, but he knew and he had the confidence that God would act on his behalf, that God heard his prayer, that God would answer his plea. As we think about this assurance, friends, as we think about this assurance that our God is merciful, that our God loves to be praised by us, that our our God hears our prayers, what we find is that we have one assurance and our enemies have another very real assurance. And that's our final point today. Point five, David knows that God will punish his enemies. Verse 10, David says, All my enemies shall be greatly, or rather all my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. We consider the contrast now of verses 1 through 3 to verse 10. Just look how, look how much has happened just over 10 verses here. David is crying out to God, spare my life, spare my life. And, and David, if you look in verse 3, he says that his soul is greatly troubled. Look at that language. His soul is greatly troubled. And what do we see in verse 10? David says that his enemies are going to be greatly troubled. David has gone from crying out to God to spare his life to telling his enemies that their lives are not going to be spared. Just look at that contrast. God, save me, spare me. Enemies, you're not going to be spared. There's a word I want you to look at in verse 10. David says that his enemies are going to be put to shame in a moment. In a moment. And this phrase, it means suddenly. And it it means that in a big word, in an eschatological sense. It means that in in an ultimate end sense, that David's enemies are going to be put to shame in a moment. David isn't saying that that God necessarily is going to punish his enemies here and now. He did. David's enemies very well could have swarmed him and killed him. What he is saying is that God is going to punish all of God's enemies in the final judgment. And and friends, if you were here uh, a few months ago as we've been walking through uh, the Psalms every about once a month or so, Uh, If you remember back to Psalm 1, we saw verses 5 and 6. I'll I'll read it for you. It says this. Uh, David says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. David's confidence uh, that God will punish his enemies is rooted in David's confidence that he is righteous. It's rooted in David's confidence that he belongs to God, that his enemies do not. (laughs) And friends, we have 
this same confidence that God is going to punish our enemies. That isn't necessarily something that we desire. We don't necessarily desire to see our enemies suffer, to see our enemies be punished. If you're familiar with the story and the life of David, you know that God appointed David to be king while Saul was still king. And Saul chased after David and tried to track him down and tried to kill him for years and years and years. So then what happened? David got word that Saul had died. And what did David do? Did he celebrate? Did he rejoice that his enemy was dead? His, his enemy was finally suffering eternal torment? No. He tore his clothes. He mourned. He wept. He fasted. He cried out. The point that I make here is that David mourned Saul's death because he knew Saul's fate. He knew that Saul had come to that ultimate end. And, and friends, we know that our enemies face a very real, coming, wrathful judgment of God. If you're here this morning and you don't believe uh, that you are a sinner in need of God's grace, in need of God's mercy, if you don't believe that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what you need to be saved. The honest reality is that one day you're going to face the eternal, wrathful, righteous judgment of a righteous God. You're going to get exactly what you deserve. And if you're here this morning and you don't believe that, you don't care about that coming judgment, I just want to tell you, as arrogant as it may sound, that it doesn't really matter if you care or not. It doesn't matter because it's going to come. It doesn't change what's real. You are going to be put to shame in a moment, in a flash, in a finger snap. You're going to face God's judgment. And so what I want to tell you is if you don't believe in Jesus, it doesn't have to be that way. That doesn't have to be your end. That doesn't have to be what you face, eternal suffering forever and ever. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus came and lived a perfect life because you can't. He came and he suffered and bled and died and did what you're unwilling to do so that you could, by his death and resurrection, belong to God. So that you could be with God forever. So that you could worship him and enjoy him forever as your chief end. If you're here this morning and you don't believe these things, I encourage you please reach out to me after the service. Please reach out to any member of this church and just ask more about this. Church, my friends, what we have seen in this psalm today is that God is merciful and that he loves to be praised by us. We've seen that he's faithful. And he wants us to enjoy him. He was merciful to David. He forgave David's sins. He he answered David's prayers and all the same things he does and has done and will do for us. So what I want to encourage you to do in light particularly of the fact that God desires to be praised, uh, in light of God's great mercy toward us this morning, uh, as we sing great is thy faithfulness, I want to encourage you to consider as you sing that God desires your praise 
As you sing, O Christian, consider that God desires to hear your voice and to hear your heart praising his name as you will do one day forever and ever with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for the goodness of your word. Thank you for the mercy that you have displayed to your people. Thank you for giving us a means by which to praise you. Thank you for forgiving our sins, which we know you despise. Lord, we pray that as we sing to you now that you would hear us. We pray that our offering to you would be acceptable, that it would be sweet to you. We pray, Lord, that you would continue being who you are, that you would continue to be faithful to your people. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please stand and sing. Thank you.